Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Metalcore and Muscle. My name is Evan. I am going to be your host for today's episode, and we are into season number two of the podcast, and we are on episode number three, and I have a great one in store for you here today. Um, some of the topics that we're going to discuss in today's episode are why do we get emotional when we listen to music? So I've talked about this before on the podcast, but metalcore music evokes a lot of emotion for many people. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people, um, hopefully you guys listening, enjoy metalcore. So I felt like this would be a good topic to investigate. We're also going to discuss a article that is posted by the ACSM, and it is all about 10 too-good-to-be-true commonly held assumptions about health and fitness. I'm not going to go through all 10 of those, but cover a couple of my favorites, and then we'll round out today's episode with the Release Radar recap. So we're going to start off today's episode talking about emotions and why music makes us feel emotional. So let's dive into that section. All right, so when you think about music that makes you feel emotional, what are some of those songs that come to mind for you? Or is it maybe more of a slow song that really just hits you in the feels or is it more of a, you know, a heavy metal song that, you know, makes you angry or when you're angry, it, it feels great to listen to something really heavy and it brings out that anger. Um, you know, which one is it for you? So we're going to, we're going to dive into an article that was posted on bustle and, this article is titled, Why Do We Get Emotional When We Listen to Music? And the author of this article is J.R. Thorpe, and I will link this article in the show notes so you guys can read the full article. Um, I'm not going to discuss every section of the article, but um, just some of the ones that really stood out to me. So I'm going to be quoting the article a little bit as I go through, but um, just wanted to share some of my favorite sections of this article. So the author quotes here, and I'll, I'll quote his section here, quote, humans have been listening to music for an incredibly long time. It's been proposed that it was actually kind of, it was actually a kind of proto language before we developed words to communicate. Researchers in 2013 found that people listen to music for 126 different reasons grouped into roughly three different reasons. And those include mood analysis and regulation, self-awareness and social relatedness. Emotion has a high significance when it comes to our music choices and habits, but experts continue to disagree on some of the finer points of the relationship between a great tune and the tears rolling down our cheeks. Um, end quote there. Then they go into some research. Um, and a question that's posed here is, do we actually feel emotion in response to music? It's I'm, I'm now quoting the article here. It's an intriguing question that would seem to have a simple answer, but some theories don't think so. Instead, there's an argument that controversially, I don't know if I said that right, <laughs> that controversially suggests we aren't experiencing traditional emotions in response to music at all. What we're actually feeling, the theory suggests, is a kind of tension and relaxation in turns based on whether or not our expectations of what a piece of music will do next are met. We feel happy according to this idea um, when the next note or movement fulfills what we think might happen while we get frustrated or feel on edge when it doesn't. So end quote there. Um, I, I just kind of want to talk about this section of the article. Um, 
I, I really think that that kind of meeting the expectations part of that, of why we enjoy music and brings down emotion. I think that directly relates to breakdowns in, in metal core. So I know for myself, when I hear a metal core song and you know, it feels like they're building to a really big breakdown and then they just go back to the chorus or like, that's frustrating for me or, you know, they're really building up this heavy breakdown and then it's just not quite as heavy as you were thinking it was going to be. Or like if you were going to write that song, you would make that breakdown a lot heavier in that section. So I know sometimes that can be um, like their point there that we can get frustrated or feel on edge when a song doesn't meet our expectations of kind of what's going to happen next. Um, I definitely think that happens sometimes with metalcore, but sometimes it it does meet our expectations and we really fall in love with those songs. Um, Some of the songs that I think of that really meet the expectation with that – one of them, and this song has been talked about a lot for breakdowns, is To the Hellfire by Lorna Shore. So I think of that section towards the end before that crazy breakdown. Um, I think it comes off right, right off of a guitar solo. And sort of all the all the instrumentals drop out. And then Will screams, um, he says, um, by my final, he says, um, my final breath. And then it's like my, my final breath and then swallowed by the, the womb of death. And that's where the breakdown smashes in really heavy and it totally meets our expectations. You're, you're expecting with all of the music dropping out, all the instrumentals dropping out, you're expecting this, this part to hit really hard. And I would say that song exceeds our expectations in a positive way. It's like we, you couldn't even imagine that someone would produce those vocals, you know, a human could produce that sound. And so that song really meets those expectations. And I think it can bring a lot of emotion, um, especially in that, that heavy realm. Um, the article goes on to say here, however, there are a lot of ways to rebuke this, or at least to argue that it's part, but not all of how our emotional responses to music seem to work. Um, there's a lot of physical evidence that we may seem to experience emotion while we listen to music from heart rate increases in response to tense or fast music to reports of emotional response among listeners. And it's not purely straightforward either. So we may feel the emotion of a piece of music as sad, but actually experience pleasure while we listen to it as a research, as research in 2013 discovered. Um, The article goes on to say here, emotion does seem to be involved beyond just tension and expectation, but it's a complicated picture. Um, They go on here to discuss more. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in this article. Um, They say here, groundbreaking research published in Nature in 2014 found that there are distinct correlates between music and different areas of the brain, many of which are immediately tied to emotional processing. And interestingly, tension and expectation do play a role. The study found that music that creates pleasurable emotions lights up the mesolimbic pathway, the reward bit of the brain that gives us happy feelings. But that wasn't all. Music also creates responses from the amygdala, which modulates emotional networks, and the hippocampus, which centers on emotions around attachment. Um, They go on to say here, and part of the pleasure was definitely centered on tension and its release, but not all of it. We also reported strong 
Um, the article says here, we also respond strong to dissonance and whether or not we find it pleasant, according to the study that looked at cerebral blood flow. When displayed dissonant music, subjects' brains surged blood to parts of the paralimbic system associated with various kinds of emotions. But the brain's response to music isn't just embedded in the here and now. It's acutely attuned to the past. The article here goes on to say, it appears that music has unique power to evoke emotional memory. Memories formed around music can have strong emotional centers, and those involving emotions can be drawn out by using music that was either explicitly part of the memory or it's tangibly related to it. And this relates to something else odd about music and emotion. It grows with familiarity. Our emotional response to a piece of music, according to a 2011 study, is much more intense if we are familiar with it and carry the memory of our previous emotional reactions. Music may well soothe the savage beast, but it also appears to be um, intricately tied to the ways in which we perceive emotional memory. So um, for me personally, I think this this really relates to um, kind of somewhat of a guilty pleasure of mine which is some and i and i want to emphasize some country music so um for those of you that know i grew up in a rural town in southwest wisconsin and moved out to california so for me um, growing up country music was always played you know most of the radio stations played country music um lucky for me my my parents not huge country music fans so i was able to grow up listening to some some awesome rock and roll music and you know obviously that's a whole different episode if i wanted to talk about musical influence for me and in, in my kind of what shaped my my preferences um but i do like to listen to country music sometimes and it does make me think of wisconsin and in kind of being um being back home it has i do have some memories tied to that music and you know occasionally um i don't mind putting on a country song out here in california because it does make me think of um of home in that way but there are certainly um you know i think other songs in in other genres that that do that for me as well um you know, for example, after moving out here, I hadn't gone back home for um, almost about two years. And um, Era put out their self-titled album in March of 2021. And for me, I listened to that album like a week before I went home. And so for me, that entire trip home, every time I hear Era's self-titled album, I think of that trip home and I have some, some great memories with that whole experience. Um, you know, I think about that as well with, you know, story of the year, they were an influential band for me into, in getting into the metalcore genre. And, you know, I think about jogging when I listen to them, I think about when I first got my, like shortly after I got my driver's license, visiting my brother in college. So there's, there's all these emotions that are tied to, to music and, and it brings that kind of emotional nostalgia with it, which I think is awesome. And, you know, that can also go with, you know, working out as well. Like you, you listen to, like, I have some really fond memories of working out with my friends in high school and us really getting into metalcore for the first time, like listening to August Burns Red and, you know, the hollow, that entire album from Memphis Mayfire. So, um, I just think it's really cool that music can 
bring on those emotions as well. Um, but then sometimes just it brings on emotions for a reason that we may just not even really know. Um, so that's kind of the next section that I want to want to touch on here. So the author of this article says, and I'm just going to quote this and read this right from the article. Um, he says, it's one thing to read an emotion in a song, though. It's quite another to actually feel it. And there are various theories about how that might work. One most predominantly uh, or most prominently argued by the thinker Stephen Davies is the idea of emotional contagion, where we mirror what we think we get from music rather in the same way that we mirror emotions in other humans. It's a theory founded on the fact that our brains contain mirror neurons, neurons that react in exactly the same way to our performing an action and seeing somebody else do it. Mirror neurons have explained a lot of our mimicking behavior and the way in which we make others comfortable by unconsciously mirroring them. And the emotional contagion theory takes it a step further in that we feel emotions from sad music because they're contagious. Um, The idea is also bolstered by the fact that there's an intriguing gap between sensing an emotion in a piece of music and actually feeling it for yourself. And the gap seems to narrow the more empathetic you are. A study in 2012 found that more empathetic people reacted more strongly to musical pieces, even if everybody read them the same way. Davies pointed out the mirroring of sadness in a piece of music is fact is in fact pretty unique. Um, this person quotes in the article, the music is the perceptual object and cause of the listener's echoing sadness. It is her attentional focus and her reaction tracks and her reaction tracks the unfolding of the music's expressiveness. However, the listener does not believe that there is anything unfortunate or regrettable about the music or anything else. And she is not sad about it. And she is not sad or for the music. In other words, her response lacks the usual emotional relevant beliefs and does not take the music as its intentional object. Despite this, the mirroring response is emotion-like rather than mood-like or irrational. In other words, we don't feel sad for sad music necessarily. We feel sad because it is communicating sadness to us using various codes. Um, So I found this interesting. The article kind of wraps up there. Um, One of the songs that I think about that really brought emotion out for me recently. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, and this is probably back actually more in like around February, but the song is one from era and it's called nigh to silence. So this is off of era's, um, self-titled, um, deluxe edition kind of reissue that came out. Um, I believe it was right around, um, night of silence came out at the end of January, but the, the deluxe reissue came out in, I believe, it was around mid-March when same time as their album came out last year. And Night of Silence just really brings out a lot of emotion and you can't really describe why. And I've actually talked about this before. I believe it was with my, with my brother. Um, it's just a an emotional song. It, it kind of takes you on this journey and you can't really ex- explain why you feel this emotion when you listen to it. It's not really a sad song and it's not really um, a, a super soft song or super heavy, but it just makes you feel kind of emotional. And so I thought this article was interesting in the sense that describes that, you know, the more empathetic you are, you might feel those emotions a little bit more, um, which I thought was really cool, cool to hear. Um, 
some other songs that kind of bring emotion out for me as well that I wanted to share here. One of them is Salt and Light by August Burns Red. So they have a kind of a unique breakdown in this song that's not really, it, it's not really a, a heavy breakdown. It's kind of more like an uplifting one, if that really makes sense. Um, I actually kind of think of uh, Romance is Dead as well by Parkway Drive in, in this way. And not that the song lyrics for Romance is Dead are really um, anything that I latch on to emotionally, but just the, they play that, it's kind of like inspirational uh, guitar work and instrumentals that really bring out a lot of emotion when you listen to it. So I think those two songs definitely have that. Um, and then the song cities by Siamese is another song for me that, um, you can't really explain why it brings out the emotion, but it just kind of, it brings on this, um, cities kind of has this upbeat vibe to it that, um, it would be like a perfect jogging song or cardio song. That's kind of the way I think of that one. But, um, I thought this section was really cool. I thought this article was awesome from Bustle. I'll definitely link it in the show notes, but um, it kind of helps to share a little bit of insight into um, really into why we why we feel emotion when we listen to, to certain music. So um, hopefully you enjoyed this segment of the podcast. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys on my Instagram page for the podcast at MC underscore muscle. Um, you can go there, send me a DM, let me know which, which songs bring out a lot of emotion for you. Um, you can comment in one of my last posts as well, but I would love to hear from you guys, some of your favorite songs that really bring out a lot of emotion, but without further ado, let's get into our more fitness related segment, which is discussing too good to be true, commonly held assumptions about health and fitness. All right, gang, the next section, like I said, is discussing 10 too good to be true, commonly held assumptions about health and fitness. I'm not going to go through all 10, but I'm going to cover at least four of them in depth. Um, this article was published in the um, one of the journals from the American College of Sports Medicine, also known as ACSM. ACSM is a highly credible um, certifying agency. Um, they have an exercise physiologist certification that I'm going to be hopefully pursuing very soon. Um, but this article is from their take 10 series and it's a shareable resource. And the author is James a Peterson and, um, he is a freelance writer and consultant in sports medicine from 1990 to 1995 he was the director of sports medicine with Stairmaster. Until that time, he was a professor of physical education at the U.S. Military Academy. So, very credible source there. Um, you do have to be a um, subscriber to this journal to access these articles. Luckily, I get these through my workplace, so um, I can share these with you here, but I will not be able to link this in the show notes for you to see because you have to pay for it to get it. So if you, if you do pay for the journal, um, you may be able to access this, but, um, let's dive into some of these commonly held assumptions about health and fitness. So the first one that I'm going to talk about here is, and this is, I'm quoting this from the article. So this isn't my, my own belief, but they say here, um, people who, this is one of the, um, commonly held assumptions that really isn't true 
it is that people who do not exercise regularly are inherently lazy. So, um, I, like I said, I, I disagree with this statement as well. Um, just like the author does. Um, so there are a lot of factors that are at play with people in their, in their behavior. Um, I think that when we think about exercise, there are differences between exercise and physical activity. So exercise is kind of a subset of physical activity and exercise is planned physical activity. It has structure to it. So kind of by saying that people who do not exercise regularly are lazy, that's not necessarily true because um, somebody could be, if you, if you think about maybe like a, let's just say a stay at home mom, right? Let's say they're, you know, running errands all day. They're, you know, gardening in the backyard. They're taking the kids around. They they might be accumulating, you know, 20 to 30,000 steps in a day, but they're not doing any planned exercise. Um, would you consider that person to be lazy? I don't think so. So that's kind of where, um, I think that that can be, um, kind of that assumption can be debunked there. Um, I'm going to read what the author quoted here. He says, although being lazy is an attribute frequently put forth as why sedentary people are not physically active, such an observation is often too simplistic. In fact, an individual's inactivity may be the result of a variety of factors. For example, a person may view exercise as either pointless or too difficult to start at this stage in their life. Furthermore, an individual may perceive exercise as an endeavor only to be undertaken by others, particularly those who are already relatively fit. Regardless of why someone does not exercise, one of the roles of health and fitness professionals is to educate, inspire, and motivate that person into making an appropriate lifestyle change. So um, I like I like what the author wrote there. I think that um, his point there that it could be a result of a variety of factors. So when we think of environmental factors, you know, maybe somebody is working, you know, a, they, they need to work two jobs for their family, or maybe they work all day. They can't afford a gym membership. There's no, um, you know, access. They don't have access to, to physical or exercise opportunities in their environment. Um, maybe socially their circle is very, if somebody wanted to make a change and, and become physically active, maybe their social circle is very negative towards that, that lifestyle change. And so they, they don't feel comfortable making that. Maybe their, their spouse is negative towards them making that change. Maybe they say, Hey honey, I want to start exercising. And they're like, well, why would you want to do that? You know, like those things actually happen. There are people that can sort of, um, discourage people from making those changes. So I think it's, you know, it's not very, um, it's not being very empathetic to, to say that if you don't exercise, you're just lazy. There are so many factors that could be at play there. So, um, I really like the, the authors, basically the author, including that in this list, but then also what he said about it, I think is awesome as well. So let's move into the next one here. This one is the more money someone spends in their health and fitness, the better their results will be. So this one could be true in a way of, you know, you're able to purchase, you know, heaps of, you know, quote unquote healthy food. Um, 
I think of it more of like the more money somebody has, maybe the more, um, perhaps the more access to information they have. So then they're able to make more educated decisions, um, towards their health. Um, but I will say that, you know, some people purchase a membership at Equinox, which is like, you know, maybe 250 bucks a month for a membership, or you could have a membership at, you know, Planet Fitness for 10 bucks, you know, rough. It doesn't mean that you, if you're paying 250 at Equinox, you're going to be healthier than someone paying $10 at, at Planet Fitness. So, um, that, that kind of goes with what the, the author's saying here. So I'm going to read, read his section here. Um, he says, quote, perhaps, but not likely, um, needlessly spending money may be common among some people, but doing so is simply wasteful. For example, overpriced workout gear will not make exercising more beneficial. Similarly, over-the-market priced healthcare will not necessarily lead to better health-related outcomes. The point to remember is that as the saying goes, money can't buy happiness. It also cannot guarantee sound judgment or optimal results. So that's where, you know, you could have somebody that's, you know, really has that drive and motivation to become healthier and they're training at, you know, Planet Fitness for 10 bucks. And you could have somebody who doesn't have that drive and they have an Equinox membership. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be healthier. And I think of, um, fitness wearables with this as well. Um, you know, having a Fitbit doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be healthier than somebody who has just a regular pedometer that tracks steps. They're both similar devices. One just is maybe like 20 bucks and the other one's like, you know, 200, you know, I don't know how much they cost exactly, but, um, the point is that they serve a similar purpose and, somebody's willpower and drive, um, can really make the difference with some of those health outcomes. So, but I don't want to sort of neglect the fact that, um, somebody's income could sort of allow them to have better access to healthcare, which could lead to better health outcomes. So, you know, that, that part is there, but if you take like two people that are both relatively healthy, one has an Equinox membership and the other one has plan of fitness, doesn't necessarily mean that the person with the more expensive gym membership is going to have better outcomes, um, or better health outcomes. So the next one here that I want to talk about says the more complicated the exercise regimen, the better the outcomes. So I'm going to give my take and then I'll read the authors. But, um, you know, for, for me, I think I've touched on this before in the podcast, but it, it's kind of the, the, to get a lot of great results, especially when training for hypertrophy, it, it just, it's going to be boring. There's nothing really, um, I don't want to say that the process is boring, but if somebody asks me, you know, how do you put on muscle mass? You know, some people might think, Oh, you have to change up your routine. You got to keep the muscles guessing. You need to do all these complicated techniques when in reality, it's really just a basic training program that you can adhere to and you progressive overload that program and you just do the same thing in the gym for maybe six or eight weeks straight. You just show up, you do the same exercises. You just try to 
increase the weight or increase the number of reps or maybe add an extra set. You know, you implement those different ways to progressive overload, but the overall routine doesn't really change that much. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Um, the author says here, um, quote, not true as a rule. All factors considered, exercise is both straightforward and relatively simple. As such, the human body responds to the stresses imposed on it in a fairly predictable manner. Regrettably, some people insist on making exercises too complicated, either because they do not know any better or because they're trying to massage their own egos, attempting to equate complexity with wisdom. So I think of this a lot of times with a lot of the advice in the fitness industry, right? You know, you need to be following this diet. You need to have your protein shake at this time exactly after you work out. Um, If you do out hypertrophy rep ranges are eight to 15. And if you do 16 reps, then you're out of hypertrophy and now you're doing muscular endurance. It's like, it can be really overcomplicated. Um, I think some tenants, there's some core tenants that are important with, um, resistance training, which is intensity, um, consistency, progressive overload. Um, you know, making sure that you're, you're progressing your training forward but really not changing the routine up too much. If you notice an exercise gives you pain, I think it's important to sub that out. If you notice that you, you know, you can't really connect well with the muscle, then I think that can be subbed out for a new one. Um, you know, I think that oftentimes now you see social media, it's like people want to invent a cool exercise that people can try. But in reality, a lot of times those are just asking to, to get hurt. Um, you know, I think of some people, you know, doing these, I I talked about this last on the last episode, but those exercise challenges, it's, it's overcomplicating things to, to try to, you know, look appealing or look cool to an audience when in reality, you know, gaining muscle mass. And I use that for the example, because that's what I'm most familiar with, um, is just, you're, you're going into the gym, you're training with intensity you are doing the same routine for an extended period of time and you're progressive overloading that routine, getting plenty of sleep, um, hydrating well, eating well, and you'll grow muscle mass. It doesn't need to be super overcomplicated with, you know, you need to do a new routine every single time you go into the gym. That's, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Um, so I like that he included this one on there. And the last one that I'm going to talk about today is um, quote, experts know what they're talking about. Otherwise, they would they would not be regarded as experts. Um, so I, I think that, you know, some experts, obviously, say, quote, experts, there, there are a lot of people that do know what they're talking about, which is awesome. Um, but one, one kind of statement that I think holds true is the more you learn, the less sure of yourself you become. So, you know, I think about this when I was 18 or 19 and I believe I started personal training when I was 19, I thought that, you know, I knew, knew it all. I was like, Oh, this is what, you know, I can get people on, you know, tell them what to do for nutrition. Like I was so sure of myself because I had transformed myself or like quote, transform myself. I'd gained a lot of muscle mass, but I, you know, it's like, at that time I thought I knew a lot of stuff and 
I wasn't very educated. So as I went through my undergrad degree and, you know, started kind of gaining more certifications, you start to realize like, oh shoot, I should not have been giving out meal plans. I should not be, you know, telling people what to eat because I'm not a registered dietitian. There are factors there that I, I don't understand. So I, I shouldn't be telling people what to do. So kind of the more you start to learn, the more you realize like, oh, I actually don't, don't know if I, if my, I can't give you a guarantee that my workout plan is going to work for you. You know, it's like everybody's different, you know, what works for me might not work for you. So I think that there are a lot of people out there that, you know, they, they transform themselves, but then they, they assume that they're an expert and they, they try to, um, they, they maybe guarantee results. And if you don't get the results, then they can blame, you know, they can blame you, the user, like, oh, they just weren't, they weren't ready for it, you know? So, but my program still works, you know, or whatever the case is. Um, I'm going to read what, what he says here. Um, the author says some do, um, many do not. In reality, a number of these self-proclaimed authoritative pundits do not have a knowledge-based command for their subject matter. What they do possess is an innate ability and willingness to con an unsuspecting public. So I talked about this a lot with regard to the fitness industry and things to look out for. Um, You know, I think one thing now that is somewhat alarming is the the prep coaches. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it's put on the client for them to, you know, you need to be, you just didn't work hard enough. You didn't do this or that. And it's actual coaching psychology is, you know, the, the coach shouldn't be viewed as they shouldn't be, um, kind of proclaiming themselves as an expert. If, if a coach is taking you into a session, you should leave. The client should leave feeling energized and ready to make a change. They should, the client should feel like the all-star, not you're coming into a session with me and I'm going to be telling you what you need to do. How likely are you to adhere to that for your lifetime? Right? If, if you come up with the, the goals, if you tell me what you want to do and, and I can ask you questions and we can kind of flesh that out and create a plan together you're going to be more likely to stick to that because you, you had a part in creating it. Um, I think a lot of times coaches regard themselves as experts and they give advice and, and even, you know, they, they try to get people to do what they're doing when in reality, everything should be driven by the client if you're doing coaching correctly. So that's something to be, be kind of aware of. I just think that the statement kind of, the, the more you learn throughout your life, you realize that, you know, we don't have all the answers. I can't assure you that this is going to work for you. We can try it based on the, the evidence base that's out there. We can, we can give this a shot. It's likely that it will work. Um, but I think right now there are so many people that, that try to, um, they, they try to claim that they're experts and that they're, they make guarantees and, and we just don't know. And the more that you understand science, the more we understand that we don't know everything and you kind of almost become humbled by the, the vastness of, of science. And, and we don't, we don't know 
we, I can't make those assumptions if I, if there's not evidence to back that. So I think that it is important to be um, data driven um, and, you know, let that kind of dictate the decisions that we make. Um, but yeah, I think that um, self-proclaimed experts may not actually be full-fledged experts. So I thought that was good that he included that one as well. Um, some of the other ones in here that I'm not going to go super in-depth into, um, they say here, you know, fad diets promote big results. That's obviously a myth. Um, you know, we know that diets like the keto diet are extremely unsustainable. Um, you know, eliminating full food groups. And I've talked about this in other episodes as well with, um, diet and your relationship with food. Um, but we just know that those diets are not sustainable for a lifetime. And usually what happens is, you know, with, I always pick the keto diet because it's such a good one for this. It's, it's an all or nothing approach, right? You, you remove a food group like carbohydrates and, you know, oops, I had, you know, a bite of a banana. Well, now I'm no longer in ketosis, so I might as well just, you know, go for it and have a bunch of carbs. You end up gaining the water weight back that you lost by starting the keto diet. And then you're just kind of like, well, might as well just keep eating whatever. And then I'll just start again on, on Monday with the keto, you know? So there's stuff like that, that definitely fad diets do not promote big results. You may get results fairly quickly, but it's not sustainable for a lifetime. Um, some other ones here, exercise related injuries only affect other people. Um, obviously we know that one's false as well. Um, you know, I think there's ways to, unfortunately injuries happen to a lot of us and, um, you know, even as careful as you are, sometimes those, those accidents happen. So definitely people are, no matter how careful you are, you can be susceptible to injuries. Um, another one here is by exercising, everyone can look like Adonis. Um, I think the last episode that I had discussing genetics and bodybuilding kind of discussed some of this, um, you know, everyone can get kind of caught up in, you know, what, what their, their genetics are going to allow them to look like and everything. But I think the, the big factor there is control what you can control with, with diet, with, um, sleep and training intensity and, you know, don't, don't get worried, don't worry or get caught up too much in those details. I think just focusing on, on what you can is the, the most important part there, but, um, that is going to do it for this section. Um, I, I really wanted to touch on those four that I went more in depth into. Um, I feel like those, those takeaways can be helpful. Um, I think with the, I'll just kind of recap them here. Um, people who do not exercise regularly are inherently lazy. We know that that's definitely not true. There's so many factors that are at play and we know that physical activity can contribute to our health related outcomes. Um, not just planned physical activity, which is exercise. Um, the more money somebody spends on their health, the, the better the results will be. We know that's, that's false there. Um, you can still get pretty dang good results with no gym, even just training at home, doing walking pushups, um, pull-ups at your local park. You can get great results with that. Um, just like you can get probably great, great results going to Equinox and spending 250 bucks there. But, um, then we have, uh, the next one here, the more complicated the exercise regimen, the better the outcomes. Um, we know that that one is false as well, or that's not necessarily true. Um, things do not have to be complicated. You know, I think that 
the fitness industry likes to overcomplicate this stuff, um, perhaps in an, in an attempt to, to sell you something. So I think that, um, you know, you can go in, do the same routine for eight weeks, just try to increase, you know, the reps or add an extra set or, um, you know, add in supersets, drop sets, some way to make that routine a little bit more challenging each, each time you go in and do it, but or from make it more challenging week to week, but overall you don't need to go into the gym and do a completely new routine every single time you go in there. Um, and then the last one here that I touched on is experts know what they're talking about. Otherwise they would not be regarded as experts. Um, we obviously know that people can be self-proclaimed experts. Um, I think of like, you know, someone who is a doctor of chiropractic trying to give, you know, a bunch of diet advice. Obviously, um, they're an expert in, um, chiropractic work, but maybe not in nutrition. So, um, taking their word on that with a grain of salt is important, but, um, also the more that you learn throughout your life, the more you understand science, the more you understand that we don't know everything and you can't really guarantee results with that. So, um, I think having a little bit of humility for those self-proclaimed experts is good in that situation, but, um, hopefully you found this, this section to be helpful. What I'd like to do now is round into the release radar recap and talk about some of my favorite songs that were released this week. So the first one that I want to touch on, we did talk about August Burns Red a little bit in this episode. They actually re-released Whitewashed. Um, it's called Whitewashed-2022. So Whitewashed came out in 2009 with their release of Constellations and when I saw August Burns Red for the first time back in 2015, they opened with Whitewash. And my brother and I were trying to figure out what my brother and my wife and I actually went to this concert. And we were all sitting in the car on the way to the show. And we were trying to figure out what song are they going to open with. And we were all wrong and ended up being Whitewash. So great song. I think the new the new edition's pretty good. I think that their their recording quality for messengers was actually the most like punchy, but this one definitely has some. It's recorded a little bit different than the the old one, but definitely kind of fun to listen to. It it was popped up first on my release radar, so I wanted to share that with you guys today. Um, the next song I want to touch on is called New Dawn, and it is by the band Oceans Eight Alaska. So Oceans Eight Alaska, they their last song that they released was Mesomorph which came out, I believe in 2019 or maybe early 2020. And it was kind of, they were touting the return of their old vocalist and excuse me, I'm not actually sure if he is still the vocalist. It's hard to tell with this, this new track. Um, this new song, new Dawn is less than two minutes. So, you know, it's going to be super heavy and you know, the thing about oceans is they have really technical drums, technical guitar work. Um, overall, I thought that the, the vocals were a little bit deeper and there are no cleans in this. So like I said, if it's under three minutes, you know, it's going to be heavy, but especially under two and you know, their, their old vocalist kind of had like a unique scream and, and clean vocal sound to him. Um, this guy definitely has some unique screams for this, this song, New Dawn. Um, but we have yet to hear the cleans, so I'm excited for some new music from them. Um, we got Chris Turner on the drums. I talked about him in the Metalcore Fantasy Draft episode where I drafted 
Chris Turner to do my do the drumming for my fantasy metalcore band. So if you got time, be sure to check out New Dawn by Ocean's 8 Alaska. I think you guys will enjoy this one. The last song I want to touch on today is the song Shade Astray by Invent Animate. So Invent Animate, they put out an album in 2020, I believe right before the pandemic hit. And they released an EP last year, I believe, um, that had a couple songs on it. It was pretty good. I think it was a three-track EP. One song was kind of an interlude, and both of those full songs were great. Um, this song, Shade Astray, has the usual technical guitars that Invent, that Invent Animate brings to the table. Um, kind of a catchy, catchy chorus. Um, nothing like pop song catchy, but... Um, definitely a nice chorus and you know it kind of has you know we're talking about emotional music here today it kind of has an emotional type feel to it if that makes any sense um it's it's not really it's not like a soft song but it's also not a super heavy song either that's like you know like new i prevail heavy that's like melt your face off coming at you it kind of has this I always think of Invent Animates music as like, you're not going to sing along with it. You're not going to scream along with it. It's kind of like you stare off and make you think kind of music. You know, it's like it's playing and, it, you know, I could think of like kind of a, a crazy like clouds in the in the sky and like you're you're driving home from work and it's just kind of like sun setting and it's creating this cool view and you're just like vibing out to invent animate that's kind of how i think of it you kind of stare off and, and just listen to it um there is a breakdown at the two minute and 37 mark so if you're looking for the heavies that's kind of where they they come in there there are some lows in there so shade astray invent animate um a great song if you guys are not following me on Instagram at MC underscore muscle, I encourage you to follow me over there. Um, I do post the, I have a, a highlight of stories called release radar and I share the, the, some of my favorite songs from my release radar into, into that highlight. So be sure to check that out if you have time, but that is going to do it for episode number three of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We touched on a little bit of music, a little bit of fitness, and rolled it out or ended it with a little bit more music. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the the music and emotion section. Um, like I said, head over to that Instagram. Let me know what songs bring on the emotion for you. Um, for me, right now, it's got to be Era's music. Um, they're I, I kind of call it like psychedelic core. You know, it just kind of makes you think, and it. it brings on emotion you don't even really know why sometimes i don't even know the lyrics and it just makes you feel a certain way um so definitely dig an era for the kind of emotional but then we also have the the music that brings out emotion in that nostalgic way and so i, I kind of mentioned to you guys today that's the country music for me um guilty pleasure sometimes not really a huge fan of it but there are definitely a few songs that that i like in that way um, we touched on too good to be true, commonly held assumptions about health and fitness. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit there. And then we rounded out with that release radar recap. So be sure to go check those songs out, but that is going to do it for today's episode. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave a review on Spotify or Apple podcasts, but hope you guys have a great one. I will talk to you in the next one. Take care, stay safe and healthy.